um, Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. Um, so professional baseball, you all ever heard of baseball before? <laughs> if you don't like it, you've at least heard of it living in America. Professional baseball has been played in America since 1875, longer than most of us have been alive. And on September 14th, 1990, uh, something happened that has never happened before in baseball and has not happened since. Late in his career, Ken Griffey Sr., who was a key member of the World Series champion Cincinnati Reds years before, was just signed by the Seattle Mariners. His son, Ken Griffey Jr., was just starting his major league career. And they were happened to be playing on the same team. And in the first inning of a game against the Angels, Ken Griffey Sr. hit a home run to left center field. His son was next up to bat. And his son followed him to the plate and hit another home run to almost the exact same spot. It was the only time a father and son had hit back-to-back -back home runs in baseball history. Ken Griffey Jr. was later uh, said later that his father greeted him at home plate saying, that's how you do it, son. Ken Griffey Sr. not only taught his son how to play baseball and gave him instruction and showed him discipline within the sport, but Ken Griffey Sr. was also an example to his son, Ken Griffey Jr., an example to his son on how to be disciplined and how to work hard and succeed at the highest level at something that they both committed their lives to. Ken Griffey Sr. didn't just teach his son how to play baseball. He was an example to his son on how to play baseball. And for us as fathers, it is not enough to simply tell our children about Jesus and teach our children to follow Jesus, but they have to see us day by day following Jesus diligently. So that they not only gain our knowledge of Christ, but they also see our example of living for Christ. And they see how rewarding it is by experiencing it with us. And eventually, as they grow, following Christ on their own. So let's look at our text this morning. Genesis chapter 7, uh, verse 1, which says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. This morning I'm going to preach a sermon I've entitled, Walking the Walk of a Faithful Father. Let's pray. Father God, help us this morning. God, speak to us this day. God, Father, uh, mother, child, and all of us alike. God, that your spirit would minister to everyone in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So first I want to speak about the inevitable admiration of a child. I was recently talking to my wife about this. It's almost as if children don't have a choice. Something within them loves and admires their parents up to a certain age. I would say it's somewhere around 10 to 12, where no matter what that parent does, that child loves and adores their parents, even if they're not a good parent. It's something natural within them that they cling to their parents no matter what. And any of us who are a parent will know that this ultimate truth is an absolute truth, which is children see, children do. Right? You, you hear the phrase, monkey see, monkey do. It applies just as much, if not more, to 
easily influenced children. And no matter how much we like it or not, our children emulate us. You stub your toe and some unsavory words come out of your mouth. That is the thing that they will copy. A few days later, you hear the same word come out of you. Where did you hear that? From you, Dad. Oh. <laughs> but on the other hand, you lay hands and pray for the sick. You lay hands on people and pray for favor in your life, and they copy that too. It was uh, maybe a year or so ago, we were laying hands on somebody during service and praying for them, and, and we're praying for them, and, and, and my eyes are closed, and I'm just contending, and, and for just a, a moment, I open my eyes, and I look down, and I see Ari standing there with her hand on the, on the person. I don't even remember who it was, but she's just going... Just trying to do her, her darndest. Of course, not my child, but her father was laying hands as well in that moment. And we were praying and contending. You stub your toe and let some words come out. They'll copy that. But if you do the things of God and you live the way God called us to live, they copy that too. Children see our attitudes, good or bad. They hear our words, good or bad. They see our hard work and they see our laziness and they emulate it. No matter what we tell them to do, the first thing they will always do is copy what we do. It's the old phrase, do as I say, not as I do. It don't work that way. We can say it till we're blue in the face, but it don't work that way. And honestly, and in reality, it's hypocritical and will eventually turn your children away from God and maybe even you. Because they will see everything that my dad said. He didn't even believe it himself. Why should I? And this goes to just simple principles of life as well as down to our faith itself. But we want to do right. And we want our children to do right. But how many know that can be a struggle to lead by example? You're not alone in this. It's a reality of life. Romans chapter 7 verse 15 through 19 which says, for I do not understand my own actions. This is Paul the Apostle writing this. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. For if I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. This is a very wordy way of saying I know what I should be doing, and I want to be doing what I should be doing, but I fail to do it often. I make mistakes frequently. I know that the action that I make, the decision that I make is not right, it's sinful, but yet I keep doing it anyway, even though I know I shouldn't do it, and even though I don't want to do it, I find myself doing it. Even Paul the Apostle struggled with this. He struggled to do what he knew was right and was tempted to act in the flesh. This is a common struggle of man. And when I say man, I mean mankind. <laughs> Women too. So how do we win this battle with our flesh? 
How do we get to the point to where we can say, do as I say and do as I do? Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 tells us, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from, his, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so here we see a firm warning from, from Apostle Paul, the same one who we just read from Romans. If we sow in our flesh, we will reap in the flesh. We will reap death. We will reap destruction. If we are acting and living in the flesh before our children, then we are not only sowing in our flesh, but we are sowing flesh into our own children and showing them by example how to live in the flesh. But verse 8 gives us the answer to help us. It says, But the one who sows in the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If we are sowing in the Spirit, we will reap in the Spirit. And if we sow in the Spirit with our children, they will see that and they will emulate that. Because children are copycats, especially to their parents that they love and adore, whether they want to or not. How do we reap in the Spirit? How do we sow in the Spirit? You do the things of God. You go to church. They see you drop your tithing envelope in the tithing basket. They see you open up your Bible and read it. That's one thing I talked to my wife. I was like, this is why our Bible reading time can't always be after the kids go to bed. Because eventually, they're going to grow up and they'll be like, did my parents ever actually read their Bible? And we do, but they don't see it. We have to be an example to them. They should see us going to our knees in prayer in times of desperation. They should see us seeking counsel when we don't know what to do. Of course, there's certain things you protect your children from. They don't need to know everything that's going on in a parent's life. But they need to see us sowing in the flesh. And guess what? They don't see that. I mean, not in the flesh. Sowing in the spirit. Backtrack, cross that out. They need to see us sowing in the Spirit, but they will never see us doing it if we're not doing it. Sowing in the Spirit on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of our spouse and our children, is a habitual lifestyle that as fathers we must embrace. Because as fathers we are responsible for our household. God put that responsibility on our shoulders. And this is a habit that can and should start before we even have our children if we're not a father yet. And so I want to speak about the fortuitous faith of a father. This means thinking ahead of your child's life. We, we tend to think, well, when my kid's a teenager, I'm gonna, we're going to have this type of relationship or we're going to live this type of way or, or, or you know, uh, the, the kids, who, the, the teenagers who reject their parents' authority and they're rebellious, my kids aren't going to do that. But that starts when they're five. That starts when they're one. It starts before they're born. Because if you want that relationship when they're older, it starts when they're younger. Here's a bonus for you. Your kids, the situations that they deal with, they seem so silly and insignificant to us, but it's the biggest thing to them. 
one of their friends doesn't let them swing on the swing with them. And we're like, dude, get over it. It's okay. Right? But that's the, that's the climax of their issues at the age of six. And if we don't take that issue seriously when they're younger, then they will eventually develop the attitude towards us that we don't take their issues seriously. And then when your daughter's 17 and her boyfriend wants to sleep with her, the climax of her issues, she doesn't take it to her parents because her parents have never shown that they cared about her biggest problems. Our leadership as fathers and as parents starts before we even feel like they're going through anything significant. Let's look at our text again. Genesis chapter 7 verse 1. And the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So here we see Noah. He is a husband, he's a father, he's leading his wife and his children into the ark. Now, the story of Noah is a very common one. Most people in church, actually pretty much everybody who goes to church has heard it. Even people in the world have heard it. The, God, uh, the world has become increasingly wicked. God has seen the issue of man, and he goes, man, this, we need to kind of hit the reset button here. And so God declares that he is going to flood the earth to Noah, and he tells him, build yourself an ark. And Noah and his family survived the flood, and humanity restarts with Noah's family. But for Noah and his family to enter the ark, they had to be righteous. This is what God said. For I have seen that you are righteous. And that's a father and his son and their wives righteous in the eyes of God. If his sons were wicked, they would not have gotten on that ark. So Noah was married. He raised three godly children, or godly sons, who married three godly women who were brought onto the ark. But how did he do this? Noah began the foundation of faith for his family and his sons before they were even born. How do I know this? Let's take a look. Noah knew he would raise sons, righteous in God's eyes, able to enter the ark before they were even born. So we can tell this by looking at the timeline of Noah building the ark. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be a hundred and twenty years old. This is God, uh, uh, not a hundred twenty years old, just a hundred and twenty years. And this is God uh, telling Noah, it's all coming to an end, hundred twenty years. That, he's saying a hundred twenty years from now is when the flood is coming. So God is telling Noah, in hundred twenty years, I'm going to flood the earth. And as the passage goes on, it's God's instructions to Noah on how to build the ark. You know, make it this many cubits long, this many cubits wide, this many cubits tall. Make it all this and that. And after the instructions, he says this. In Genesis 6, 17 through 18, he says, For behold, I will, build, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come to the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. God is telling Noah that his wife and his children will be on the ark with him. 
And so this is God, of course, prophesying to Noah himself that your kids are going to be righteous too. Praise God. Like, that's great news, right? So if we follow this timeline a little further down, Genesis chapter six or 7, verse 6, which says, Then Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. That's pretty old. Okay, so who's ready for a math test? If Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters fell, and we see in Genesis 6-3 that God told Noah that the, uh, 120 years before the flood, that the flood would come, how old was Noah when he told uh, Noah that he, would, that the, he was going to flood the earth? Yes, 480 years old. Good job. That was quick. Did you use your calculator? So Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters fell. And it was 120 years before that that God said, in 120 years, I'm going to flood the earth. So that makes Noah 480 years old when God told him he was going to flood the earth. But in Genesis 5 uh, verse 32, it tells us this. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You see what happened there? God told Noah that he was going to flood the earth and told Noah to build an ark for him, his wife, and his three sons 20 years before Noah even had any children. 20 years before Noah had any children, God said, now is the time to start building the ark. Now is the time to start building the ark, which would not only save him, but would bring salvation to him, his wife, and his sons before they were even born. This speaks of laying the foundation of faith for your children before they're even born, or before they're teenagers, or before they're adults. Noah was living a life of exemplary faith to his sons before they were even born. He was sowing faith, he was sowing prayer, and he was working in God's kingdom on behalf of his sons before they even came to earth. As fathers or future fathers or current fathers or men who ambition to be fathers someday, we have to start now to sow faith in our children for the sake of their salvation. Noah knew that that ark was going to be what would save himself, his wife, and his children that he didn't even have yet. That ark resembles faith. That ark, 120 years, building a boat in the middle of the desert. Like we imagine he's like by the, sea, by the edge of the sea and people are like, oh yeah, he's building a boat, that makes sense. No, it made no sense to build a boat where he was at. 120 years, sowing in faith. Looking crazy to the world. Sometimes that's what being a Christian looks like. Looking crazy to the world, but leading his family in faith that God's word would come true. And that faith is what brought salvation to him and his family. That our children might see us not just preaching to them and teaching them right and wrong, but being examples of living out our faith in front of our children. Noah in faith, began building the ark. He began building rooms for his sons that weren't even born yet on that ark. And then Noah's sons were born and they watched their father labor every day in faith 
for a hundred years building the ark that God commanded. Noah's sons on a daily basis saw their father not just speaking about God and right and wrong, but living it out diligently, which undoubtedly was the key to raising his sons to being righteous in their own eyes. I mean, in God's eyes. What if Noah wasn't diligent? What if, what if God was like, hey, dude, build an ark. You're going to have sons. You're going to put the sons on the ark too. And he's like, cool, God. But then he didn't start building an ark. And he eventually has the sons and he tells the sons, hey, God's going to flood the earth someday. We have to be righteous so we can be saved. And, and we're going we're gonna to build a boat. When are we going to build a boat, Dad? I don't know. We'll get started on it soon. What if Noah didn't fall? He's telling his sons, hey, we got to live for God because he's going to flood the earth and take out all the wicked people. We can't be one of those wicked people. And then they're like, okay, but you're not doing anything. You're just talking about it. Didn't he tell you to build a boat? You're not building a boat, right? It's, and for us, we tell our kids, Jesus is coming back someday. Jesus, it could be today, it could be tomorrow. He, he's coming back someday, but they say, Dad, what are you, you're saying it, but I don't see it. We have to be good people, we have to be Christian, we have to do this, we have to do that, but as, as a dad, as a parent, we're not doing it. It is as fathers, we have to verbally teach our children's right and wrong. We have to discipline our children. But most importantly, we have to show that we truly believe in what we are teaching our children by living out what we are teaching our children, by being an example of the way we tell them to act. That it's not do as I say, not as I do, but do as I say because it's what I'm doing too and you can see the fruit of it in my life. Because they see the fruit in your life. Kids notice things, man, and they don't always tell you. Every now and then your kid will say something and you're like, oh, they picked up on that? As fathers, we must be walking the walk of a faithful father. Titus chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 says, Show yourselves in all respect to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dig dignity, and, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This speaks about having a testimony before the church and before the world. And if this statement is true for Christians, how much more is it true for a father who desires to raise godly children? That when our kids grow up and they talk about their dad, it's good things and not, well, he never did this, he never did that, he would treat me this way, he'd treat me that way. And that's why I'm messed up today. How many, a lot of adults blame their, how messed up they are on their parents. And there's some truth to that. But if the word of God tells us that we have to live a good testimony before our brothers and sisters in Christ and beyond that before the world, how much more as fathers should we be living out that testimony before our children in our own house? It's our family that sees the worst of us. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
Think about that. Train up a child in the way they should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. How many know you? If you can't train anybody in something you don't know anything about, like, hey guys, sign up for my kung fu classes. Come on in, and uh, every Thursday at six o'clock, I'm gonna teach you guys kung fu. Well, do you have any experience? No. Uh, I'm a black belt in YouTube though, <laughs> and so we're gonna watch some videos, and we're gonna, I'm gonna tell you guys how to kick, even though I have no idea. Right? It doesn't work that way. If we want to train up a child in the way they should go, we must also know the way we should go. And we must be going that way. So how do we do this? As fathers, if we desire to be effective in raising our children to follow us, we must also follow our Father, who is our Heavenly Father. But ultimately, for us, no matter how good or bad, how present or not present our earthly father is or was, we must draw our primary examples of how to live from our heavenly father and the example he sent us in Jesus Christ and the influence that he offers us in the Holy Spirit. There's the story of Paul and Silas in prison. They get arrested for their faith. I, I, and at midnight, they are praying and singing songs of worship, and the whole jail is shaken, and they get set free, but they don't actually run away. And the, the prisoner's like, whoa, you guys could have ran, but you didn't. You must be legit. And he says, what must I do to be saved? Because he realizes that your faith is legit. It's for real. And their response to him is this. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, they say to him, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe in the Lord. Now, I share this definition with you guys always, so you should have it memorized by now, but let's do it again. The word believe is the Greek word pistuo, which doesn't simply mean to hear something and go, yeah, I think that's true, and then move on with your life. But rather, it is to believe and to entrust, your, entrust with whatever it is that you're believing. So you pull up to valet parking. You know, we're all, we're all fancy enough for valet parking, right? You pull up to valet parking, and the guy says, I'll take care of your car. And we say, I believe you, but we don't give him the keys to our car. We don't believe him. But we give him the keys to our car. We trust him to do his job. We entrust him with our vehicle. We entrust him with the keys to our car, that he won't wreck our car, that he won't lose our keys, that he'll bring it back when we leave. That is the type of belief that we're talking about when we say believe in Jesus, pistuo, Jesus, this word Lord in the Greek is the word kyrios, which means Lord and Master. So entrust yourself to the Master Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So in other words, he's telling the jailer to entrust your life to Jesus Christ as your Master. So if someone has a master and they genuinely entrust themselves to that master, they will do as the master commands, right? Makes sense. If you entrust your life to a master. So they tell him, entrust your life to Jesus Christ as your master and you will be saved. You and your household. It's an interesting phrase, you and your household. Don't get confused. This, this isn't some doctrine saying that if the father gets saved, then the rest of the family is just saved like that. 
but rather it's a principle that as a father, as the leader of the household, when you live for God, your family will naturally want to follow you. That's how God created it. That's how God wired men and women and children is that they will want to naturally father, fo- follow the lead of the father. There's a, 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 a crazy statistic. I wish I had it in here, but I will try to remember the numbers and I'm not exaggerating. There's a statistic that, that shows um, the likelihood of the family following in salvation depending on who gets saved first. If the children get saved first, it was something like a 4% chance that the rest of the family will four or six, somewhere in there, there's a single digit number, that the rest of the family will follow in salvation. If the mother gets saved first, it was a 14% chance that the rest of the family will follow in salvation. If the father gets saved first, it was a 94% chance that the rest of the family will follow in salvation. Because God created the family structure that the father is the leader. Listen, the world is all about women independence, right? Me, myself, and I, I'm a strong, independent woman. But something deep down inside of them. That's how they say it. But there's something deep down inside of them that God put within them that desires to follow after a godly man. That is the way God created it. That is why those statistics are true. Because... God created it that way. And so he's telling them, believe in Jesus Christ. Trust your life to him as your Lord and your master, and you and your household will be saved. This dude is a jailkeeper. He's a tough dude with swords, and he watches after hard criminals on a daily basis. This is a man's man. We're not talking about some paper pusher in an office somewhere. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm a paper pusher, kind of, in some days. But the point is, this dude, is he's a man. And they're telling him, listen, you, you lead your family into Christ and they'll follow you. That is the principle of being a father, is that your family will follow your lead, good or bad. That is the reality of it, and there is no running from it. Because the fathers who do run from it leave an even worse trail of disaster fatherless children who still follow your lead. So this isn't a doctrine saying that if you just get saved, then boom, your family's saved too. But they will see a change. They will see a change of direction in your life. And statistics say that 94% of the time, they're going to follow you. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, For to this you have been called, Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Think about that. We love to say, oh, love like Jesus did or serve like Jesus did. But this text tells us because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. It's as if Peter is saying, listen, you're going to have to suffer for people. It's not just go help them move on a weekend. It's not just give them 20 bucks when they're low on gas. It's sometimes to, to show the love of Christ to the people around you. You have to suffer for them. You have to go through hard times with them. 
You see, for us as fathers, Christ is our primary example of how to live. And when we are entrusting our lives to Jesus, we're committing to following him. His example is what we see in scripture. Sometimes we have to suffer on behalf of our children. Christ suffered for our salvation, and as fathers, we must make sacrifices for the bettering of our children who follow after us. Sometimes the suffering for the modern man is giving up a hobby so that we can take our kids to church more, so that we can have Bible studies with them at home more, so that we can just spend more time with them. Sometimes suffering for our family is laying down our health. We go to work sick. Because if we don't, our kids don't eat. Christ suffered for our salvation, and the reality is being followers of Christ, men and women alike, sometimes that means to show the love of Christ to people. We have to suffer for other people, with other people. But when we do this, we lead people in the example of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he tells them, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Imagine being so confident in your leadership that you could tell somebody that. Copy what I do because I'm copying Christ. And I'm not perfect, but I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job. <laughs> right? Imagine being able to say that about yourself. That Paul writes in a letter to an entire church telling them, copy me because I'm copying Christ. Do what I do because I'm doing my best to do what Christ did. Paul makes this statement to his spiritual children. He started the church of Corinth. They're what you would call spiritual children. And as fathers, if we are genuinely doing our best to imitate Christ, naturally our children will imitate us. But the reality is, if we're not doing anything for Christ, naturally our children will emulate us. There's no way around it. Children are copycats. They do what they see more than they do what they hear. And if we are doing our best to imitate Christ with our life, our children will imitate us and they will grow up and emulate what they were raised in. That's a tall task. That's hard. As a father, that's, that's a lot of responsibility. Think about it. It doesn't even make sense, too. You think about like the natural thing. Like my wife spends way more time with my kids than I do. Way more time. I go to work. She stays home. She's a stay-at-home mom. It's a, it's a blessing. It's amazing. And she spends way more time with my kids than I do because of that. But yet it is my exampleship to my children that ends up getting copied. More than, I mean, they do copy my wife too, but statistics show, and it's undeniable, that children follow the father more than they follow the mother, even though the mother's with them way more than the father is. That's a tall task to bear. Heavy responsibility to burden. Which is why we must draw our strength and ability to imitate Christ from the influence of the Holy Spirit. Man, if we're not being influenced by God, we're not going to influence anybody else for anything good. 
Jesus tells us in four, uh, John 14, 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, his function is to help us be good because we can't do it on our own. His function is to help us live righteously because without the Holy Spirit, we can't. And even with the Holy Spirit, we still screw up sometimes. Sometimes. A lot. <laughs> sometimes is pretty vague, but a lot is at least more general. On a daily basis, on an hourly basis, we are human. But if we seek the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we will learn how to act righteously. And we will be compelled by the Holy Spirit to live accordingly. But we will make mistakes. But ultimately, they, our children will see a father who was led by the Holy Spirit and repentive of his mistakes. That's the key. Repentive of our... That we can... A lot of parents don't like to do this, but here's, here's a tip for you. Sometimes as parents, we need to apologize to our kids. I shouldn't have said that to you. You're still in trouble, but I shouldn't have said that to you, <laughs> right? Like sometimes that's the way that goes. You're, you still messed up and you're still in trouble, but I shouldn't have responded the way I did. Because that's usually the th things we have to apologize for is when our kids act up, acting all crazy, and then we lose our temper. Yeah. Two wrongs don't make it right, y'all, even if you're in charge. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Christ was perfect. We are not. But we must be diligent to love people as Christ loved us as much as we can. And if we love our children the way Christ loves us, then they will feel Christ's love within us. If we love other people the way Christ loved us, then they will see Christ's love within us. And if our children feel Christ's love within our lives, within our parenting, and they see Christ's love within us as an individual, they will inevitably be drawn to Christ himself. And as a father, true success in fatherhood is just that diligently leading our children to Christ to the point to where they desire to be like Christ more than they desire to be like you. As a father, that one hurts the pride a little bit sometimes, right? Your kids say, Dad, I want to be just like you. And we're like, <laughs> yeah. That's right. I'm awesome. Right? When I grow up, I'm going to be just like you, Dad. Or the girl, when I grow up, I'm going to find a man just like you, Dad. And we're like, he better. But the reality is, we want our kids to desire to be more like Christ than they desire to be like us. We want our daughters to grow up and find a man less like us and more like Christ. I'm trying my best to be the best husband and father I can be, but I hope my daughters go find a man better than me. I'm all for that. A man who's more like Christ than I am. That they will grow up to be adults that are more like Christ than I am. That the future generations can benefit from my children more than this current generation may or may not benefit from my life. 
that our children won't look to us ultimately, but that they will learn to look to Christ. Because we'll let our children down. We will. We'll mess up. We'll fall short, but Christ never falls short. And when they learn that, when they realize that the ultimate authority, the ultimate truth is found in Jesus Christ, it's found in the Word of God, they can look at our shortcomings and realize, that's okay. They're doing their best. And so am I, because I have mistakes too. Kids don't know that sometimes. They make mistakes too. But as a father, true success is raising kids who want to be more like Christ and less like you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.